guys, I'm Sydney Esler, and this is Sorry, I'm Booked. Today we'll be unpacking how Room by Emma Donahue intersects with psychoanalytic theory. Room is a great book that clearly demonstrates what love and innocence looks like while also addressing real-world issues. Even if you haven't read the book, you must have watched the movie with Brie Larson that was based off the book. But if you haven't read the book, or seen the movie, or if you haven't even heard of what Room is, here's a quick summary for you that contains all of the spoilers. The book starts with Jack waking up in Room. It's his fifth birthday. Room is where he lives with his ma, and also table, and wardrobe, and rug, and his friends in the TV. The reader might be able to tell that something grim is at work, but Jack's optimistic and innocent point of view is reassuring. Room is Jack's whole world and is all he has ever known. Soon we find out that this is because he has been imprisoned in Room his whole life with his mother, kept in a shed in the backyard of their captor, Old Nick. Ma was abducted by Old Nick when she was 19, had Jack when she was 21, and now she's 26 when the book is taking place. Very soon into the book, we begin to realize how ferociously Jack's mother has worked to provide her son with an education, toys, and a fully functioning logical world with rules and boundaries within only 100 square feet. She protected him from outside, and Jack thought that the whole world outside of Rome was just TV. Midway through the book, Ma realizes the possible danger looming over her and her son by the threats of Old Nick. She hatches a plan to finally escape their prison by pretending that Jack is dead. Although he's hesitant, the five-year-old sees the plan through and ends up getting outside, finding a stranger who calls the police, and saves his mother. Old Nick is also found and arrested. Once they get outside of room, Jack and Ma need to become reintegrated into society. Ma hasn't seen the real world in seven years, and Jack is seeing things that he thought only existed in TV for the very first time. Ma and her parents have a little bit of a cold family reunion, learning that her parents split up and that her father is disgusted by Jack. Later on, Ma endures an emotionally trying talk show appearance where they ask her personal questions about her experience. The next day, Jack goes to the mall with his uncle and his family, and when they return, Jack finds Ma, who had attempted suicide by taking too many pills. Jack stays with his grandma until Ma recovers. Then once Ma recovers, she and Jack move into an apartment all by themselves. Jack keeps on wanting to go back to room, and Ma eventually agrees to take him there one last time. They see room, and Jack says goodbye to it. He closes the door on that chapter of his life and gets ready to start a new one. And that's how the book ends. Now moving on to psychoanalytic theory. All right, so here's a super quick summary with certain terms that might be relevant later. So psychoanalytic critics view works of literature and characters' behavior as if everything is caused by hidden and unconscious motives. This has to do with the id, ego, and superego inside everyone. According to Freud, your id is entirely unconscious and holds your instinctive, primitive, and pleasurable behaviors. Your ego is who you understand yourself to be and controls impulses from your id. Lastly, your superego is responsible for your personality and finding your own moral compass. We'll use those later. 
Psychoanalytic theory also has to do with your unconscious and how it operates. Your unconscious contains the things that you can't think about even if you wanted to, unless it was to be dug up by a certain tool or trigger. Your id uses many different defenses to protect itself unconsciously, attempting to not let your deep-seated desires or fears affect your life. The three important defenses that we'll be referencing later are selective memory, where you push back certain thoughts and modify memories so that you don't get overwhelmed by them, disassociation, where you separate your idea of yourself from a negative action, and regression, where you return to a formal psychological state. Basically, psychoanalytics look at the distinction between conscious and unconscious motives of characters and decisions made in works of literature. So without further ado, why don't we jump right in and start connecting this book to psychoanalytic theory. Jack had lived the first five years of his life only speaking to one person. Imagine that. Imagine not knowing what it's like to run in grass. Imagine not knowing that there are billions of other people walking on the streets. Imagine not knowing the sting of chlorine in your eyes when you go to the pool on the first day of summer break. Imagine not knowing that there are other people in the world who can have the same name as you. Jack missed out on all of this, a childhood, after being born and imprisoned in Rome for five years, impacting his idea of the world and also his sense of self. His only friends were on TV, or were creations that he made. His ego, or his idea of himself, was solely based off of what he observed and what his mother told him, but nothing else. In a way, it was good that he didn't have to deal with the cruelness of society while he was growing up, but he also missed out on so many opportunities and relationships that could have possibly changed his ego. The thing is, though, Jack didn't even care, because he didn't know what he was missing out on. This life of isolation was completely normal to him, and the fact of the matter is, he actually misses room once they escape. Once they are outside, he keeps on wanting to go back to room, and compares all of his new experiences to his old ones from room. I'd call this constant thinking about room not only a habit, but also regression. He's avoiding the fact that he must become accustomed to this new life and how big and scary the world really is by mentally returning to room and also wanting to physically go back. All of these new things sometimes get to be too much for him to handle, so he regresses back into who he was and how he thought back when he lived in room. Jack's behavior and choices throughout the book are based off of how he was raised as a child, just like any other kid in the world. But his circumstances were different. He only had his mother and the TV as his influences. As a result, his mother became a part of his identity, or his ego. An article from psychologytoday.com says that parents are responsible for, quote, providing their children with the opportunity, means, and support to pursue their goals. The psychological means include providing love, guidance, and encouragement in their efforts. The practical means include ensuring that one's children have the materials needed, proper instruction, and transportation, among other logistical concerns. End quote. Now, Ma certainly did not have the ideal amount of space or materials to raise a little boy, but she worked with what she was given by old Nick, and it was enough to raise Jack into a smart and curious boy. She supported him and showed him love and encouragement in the little everyday things that they did together like brushing their teeth and reading. But even though she put in her best effort to raise Jack with her limited space and resources, there would inevitably be lasting effects on him. TheCut.com says that, 
quote, he would have had no opportunities to navigate the complex social dynamics and hierarchies that most kids participate in and observe. He would have learned about humanity from a single source, end quote. So, as a result, he might initially be frightened of others, uncommunicative, and extremely attached and dependent on his mother. And this is what happens to Jack. He cannot imagine being anywhere that his mother isn't. So even when he has to pretend that he's dead and leave room without her in order to save them, he takes a part of her with him. What I mean by that is that Jack literally puts Ma's tooth that had fallen out while they are in captivity in his sock. He is getting ready for their quote-unquote great escape and then remembers that he needs to bring tooth. He narrates, I go in wardrobe to find tooth under my pillow. I'm going to tuck him down my sock, he says. Then, before he knows it, he's in the rug pretending to be dead. Old Nick takes him to his truck to drive him away and bury him. While he's being carried by Nick, he thinks in his head, Are you there, Tooth? I can't feel you, but you must be my sock, at the side. You're a little bit of Ma, a little bit of Ma's dead spit riding along with me. Throughout the book, Jack continues to bring Ma's tooth everywhere, and eventually starts to put it in his own mouth to suck on it. Okay, so I just think that this all shows how Jack understands himself to be him, Jack, five years old, but also that he understands or believes that he's a part of Ma, and that Ma's a part of him, mentally and physically. And so throughout the rest of the book, Jack keeps on mentioning Tooth, saying, I suck to feel Tooth. Tooth is digging into my gum. Tooth is stuck to my tongue. Tooth tastes like juice. And I do... I feel like this is all kind of gross, but it's his way of coping with everything that's going on around him, if that makes sense. So, I think that he makes this decision, maybe unconsciously, but he is always aware of it, um, to bring Tooth everywhere with him because of the deeper need for his mother's presence, even if it is just a dead piece of her, even if it's just her spit. He uses the Tooth as a reassurance that something from Ma, and I guess from Room, is still with him whenever he's alone. Jack makes this kind of nasty choice, not knowing that it's nasty, because it helps him to deal with the loneliness around him. He makes the tooth a part of him because he believes that his mother needs to be a part of him. And then, eventually, by the end of the book, Jack loses his mother's tooth, which I think is probably intentional by Donahue to symbolize how Jack isn't so reliant on his mother anymore. And he's not as dependent on her presence now that he's experienced the real world on his own. Overall, Jack's perception of the world and idea of himself, or his ego, had become strongly dependent on Ma because of the simple fact that he wasn't ever farther than 100 feet away from her for all five years of his life so far. His ego and idea of himself was altered from the circumstances of his childhood, forcing him to center his identity around Ma. take a quick break and while we're gone here's a quick message from our favorite sponsor dino defense have you ever found yourself in a need of an easy to use self-defense tool that also doubles as a cute and trendy keychain well look no further dino defense sells cute dinosaur keychains that look harmless 
but can be pulled out and used as an easy access pepper spray if you ever find yourself in a sticky situation. They also emit a loud roar when used. It is available in six of your favorite dinosaurs, including the T-Rex, Triceratops, Stegosaurus, Carcharodontosaurus, the Monolophosaurus, and finally, my personal favorite, the Brachiosaurus. This is a useful self-defense tool that can save you in any dangerous situation. Stay safe, guys. Now back to your podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Alright, so here's a backstory for the next section that we're analyzing. Jack's mother is interviewed for a segment on TV. It tires her out and is so emotionally exhausting for her that she sleeps all through the next morning. So Jack decides to go on an excursion to the mall with Ma's brother, Uncle Paul, while she sleeps. It's a long day, but Jack returns back to the clinic where him and his mother are staying and is so excited to finally be able to cuddle up with his mom after not being with her all day. But something bad has happened. Jack narrates, I take off my shoes, but not my clothes. I get in with Ma at last. She's warmy soft. I snuggle up, but carefully. The pillow smells bad. The bat is vomit. I remember from our great escape. Wake up, I say to Ma. You did sick on the pillow. She doesn't switch on. She doesn't even groan or roll over. She's not moving when I pull her. This is the most gone she's ever been. Ma! 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 She's a zombie, I think. So here you can clearly see Jack's innocence and blindness to the whole situation. He doesn't quite understand what his mother did yet, but he knows something is wrong. So he goes and gets Noreen, the nurse. Noreen is screaming, Code Blue, Room 7, while Jack narrates, Then I see Mom's pill bottles open on the table. They look mostly empty. Never more than two. That's the rule. How could they be mostly empty? Where did the pills go? Noreen's pressing on the side of Ma's throat and saying her other name. And, Can you hear me? Can you hear me? But I don't think Ma can hear. I don't think she can see. I shout, bad idea, bad idea, bad idea. Lots of people run in. One of them pulls me outside in the corridor. I'm screaming, Ma, as loud as I can, but it's not loud enough to wake her. I just remember after I first read this, I wondered how can it be possible for Ma to do something like this to Jack and her whole family after she just went on the whole journey of imprisonment and survived. I wondered what can bring her to do something like this, especially after all of her sacrifice and fight for survival. But then, I took a step back and I decided that Ma's decision is easy to judge and hard to understand when one has never been through the same trauma and experiences that she had just been through. We can only try to empathize and imagine what kind of pain she might have been experiencing to make a decision like that. I found a poem by Crystal Vincent called Traumatic that goes, Traumatic. I don't want to feel. Feeling means hurting. Hurting leads to a damaged and shattered heart. Traumatic leads to a broken heart, a broken life. Feeling. I don't want to feel. This poem was perfect in displaying how Ma probably felt after she and Jack were reinstituted into the outside. Although she had just survived through all seven years of captivity, five of them raising a child, She was too traumatized and ultimately in too poor of a mental state where she didn't want to feel any longer, causing her to take a near-fatal amount of pills. 
This poem demonstrates the toll her abduction took on her mental health. Ma had been protecting her id and her bad thoughts deep down with her selective memory and disassociation. But after all of the brutally honest questions she was asked by the interviewer, she reached her breaking point and her defenses broke down. She was asked questions like, is there a sense in which you miss being behind a locked door? Did you ever consider giving Jack away to be adopted? And you still breastfeed him? She was asked, did you ever think that old Nick cared for his son? Everything inside of her had been building up until she had to reflect and defend herself in front of everybody. The interviewer seemed to have the tools to unlock Ma's unconscious and make her not okay anymore. Ma's id, which contains her deepest and most selfish desires, is dipped into by these questions. It causes her to almost lean into her pain, and I guess she decides that it's okay to leave the world early, because the id pays no attention to how those desires will affect the outside world and the people around her. Her actions used to be driven by keeping Jack alive and entertained, but now that he was starting to become more independent and didn't need her to live in the real world, her sense of self, her ego, is questioned. And on top of that, Ma keeps on having to relive her traumatic experiences from room, between talking to all the therapists, doctors, her mother, and now this random interviewer lady. She tries to disassociate herself from her past, just wanting to be a normal mother, but all of these questions cause her to question herself, too. Alright guys, I think that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to come back next week for when we talk about how Jane Eyre deserved better 170 years ago, deserves better today, and will always deserve better, forever and always, when presented with gender studies. Thanks for listening. See you next week.